Hey, I'm, uh, my name's Daryl, the assistant pastor here at Midtown 12 South. And uh, this morning, glad that you are here with us. Uh, glad that you are, and humbled really, that you um, have wanted to come and hear from what the Lord may have for us uh, to be among his people, uh, where he has promised to meet us. And so this morning, we're gonna continue our walk through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament, one of the lesser known uh, historical books uh, where Nehemiah outlines, gives to us, shows us uh, what it took to build the wall in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, he was the cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes, and uh, he was king of Persia. Uh, they had really owned, Artaxerxes really ruled the known world at the time. And so Nehemiah, who was Jewish, who was an Israelite, uh, said to Artaxerxes, hey, my city lies in ruins, uh, Jerusalem lies in ruins still. Uh, could I go back and build the wall? And the, uh, Artaxerxes said, sure, go, back, go ahead and go back. Uh, so he gave him some resources, gave him some time off of work uh, and let him go back and start building the wall. And uh, the work began and that's where we were last week in very pain, very, very painstaking detail uh, of all that took place, uh, of all the folks who helped, uh, the jobs that they did uh, and all that. And then we get to chapter four, which is this crucial point in building the wall uh, because what we find is as the wall was, was becoming a reality, uh, there were gonna be those who uh, didn't like the idea. They didn't like the idea uh, that, uh, that Jerusalem uh, sought to be a city again, that, that the Jewish people sought to have their own spot. Uh, and there was a lot of opposition that came in. And so this relates to us because as we have been progressing throughout uh, the pandemic uh, and the way that uh, we have chosen to handle that and how uh, the world um, really came to a screeching halt, we found that it was a great opportunity for us here at 12 South as we begin even our own rebuilding uh, as, as we have been progressing through this of what it looks like to build a community and, and uh, a church and a people group who uh, love the Lord and, and seek to see his kingdom advance. And so that's why we chose the book of Nehemiah uh, because of the things of rebuilding uh, and all that it has there. So that's where we are this morning, uh, asking ourselves the question, what do we do with those who hate what we do? How do we handle those who uh, hate what we're doing here? Uh, Nehemiah encountered uh, guys named Tobiah and Sambalot who hated uh, his mission uh, the surrounding armies hated that mission. Uh, so we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with those who hate us? So that's where we're gonna be this morning uh, in Nehemiah chapter four. I'm gonna read the first 14 verses. Uh, so let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word this morning. Now, when Sambalot heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and he was greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Then Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. And Nehemiah responded, hear, O God, our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And so we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. 
But when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild this wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in the open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters and your wives and your homes. Let's pray together. Father God, as we seek to uh, only by your mercy, uh, make sense of such a passage, uh, one that seems Uh, seemingly irrelevant to us. Uh, It reads like history, it is history, so we wonder what does it have to do uh, with my heart, with my life, uh, with my community, with my house uh, right now. And so we ask that uh, in your great mercy you would illuminate uh, your word as it's preached, your Holy Spirit come and find uh, willing uh, hearts and open ears to hear all that you have and that we would leave here rejoicing, rejoicing that Jesus Christ has met us, that Jesus Christ has saved us, and that he is the great lover of our souls. Uh, So be with us, God. Uh, Fill this place, or in the heavens, pour your blessings on us, uh, and create a revival in us and in this city the likes of which we've never seen. And it's in your name we do pray, amen. Uh, So here we are, uh, Nehemiah chapter four, the first 14 verses, we're gonna find three things that we're gonna glean out of here. Uh, first is the fightings without. There are fightings that are taking place uh, from the enemies that are without, uh, outside of them. Uh, then there's the fears that are within the Jerusalem, in Jerusalem and in the Jewish people. And lastly, the fellowship that wins over all these doubts. So fightings, fears, and fellowships. Uh, so let's dive in uh, with our first point this morning, fightings without. Uh, this passage opens with old Sambalot and Tobiah. They're back to their wicked ways. Uh, We saw them in chapter one and then chapter two uh, who were a little skeptical of what Nehemiah was up to and uh, they have shown up now and they are spitting some venom and spitting some hatred uh, toward the Jewish people. Uh, These rabble rousers who have emerged from their slimy little holes are showing up here uh, to derail everything that God is up to. Uh, Look at what Sambalot says, Will, if you don't mind putting those verses up there. Um, Oh, really, Jews, you're gonna to try to rebuild this wall. Look what he says. What are these feeble Jews doing? Look at these bunch of nerds over here trying to rebuild this wall. Look how weak they are. Look how little they are. Jerusalem doesn't even have an army. They don't even have a country. They couldn't protect this at any other point. Uh, and now these little weaklings are trying to build this wall up. Uh, look at what they are doing. Look how feeble they are. What are you gonna do, he says, Are you gonna offer some sacrifices? Because that hasn't worked in the past, Jews. What are you gonna do, build it in a day? Because that's not gonna work either. Sambalot is is here and he's mad. 
Uh, he's mad at the work that's taking place. Uh, we didn't hear from him in chapter three, but now that the work is actually, that there's something to show that the wall, there's actually some development taking place, uh, he now shows up and he is, uh, as Nehemiah said, very angry. And then Tobiah comes in with one of, uh, really one of the best roasts in all of scripture, uh, where he says, if a fox jumped on that wall, it would fall down. Like you guys don't even know how to build a wall in the right way. Uh, so they have Sambalot and Tobiah who are very loud. They're very vocal. Uh, they're very angry. Uh, and they are just shouting over and over at the Jews as they are trying to work uh, and build this. And if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, then you know exactly what this is like. You know exactly what this is like. See, I grew up, I grew up in the left behind era of Christianity, as you can probably find down at a thrift store or something, um, where I was under the impression that because I was a Christian, it meant that some like jackbooted stormtrooper was gonna come into my house and like take all my stuff and like slap me around a little bit for like saying the Lord's Prayer. Um, that happens, certainly, in other parts of the world. We see this, we hear of this all the time. Uh, you can read accounts of the martyrs where this has taken place. Uh, but it hasn't really been my experience, and I was always a little confused by this. Like, maybe I'm doing Christianity wrong, like nobody's trying to beat me up. Um, and I talked to my friend Alan, who is a Chinese-born Christian. He had to leave China uh, for, he ran an underground church. He escaped through Hong Kong, came to America, and he can't go back home. So he's, he just planted a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I remember talking to Alan about this passage uh, when we were in class together in seminary. And he said, Daryl, it's interesting because uh, the persecution that we see, that I see here is not like what I see in China. And he's like, and, and almost thankfully it's not because they're not trying to tap your phones. They're not like coming to your house. They're not gonna shut you down because you have like a constitution that protects against that. Um, but you don't have a constitution, he said, that protects against people thinking you're stupid uh, or people who are gonna question why you're doing this. They're gonna ask you, why are you up on a Sunday morning when you could be at brunch or you could be asleep, or you could be watching the Titans? Like, why are you here? Um, he said, our persecution is always gonna be a lot more intellectual um, and a lot more financial than it's gonna be like physical. Um, and I don't know if, if you felt that, if you haven't, you will, um, but it's true. And I don't know if Alan is a prophet or not, I don't think he is, um, but if all these rumblings were there sort of pre-March 2020, where it was like at Alexa volume eight, um, it's now at 50 uh, because there's so much anger. Uh, there's so much uh, rage, there's so much outrage, um, really all over the place. Uh, if you're in the medical field, you're getting yelled at. Um, if you don't want to ma wear a mask, you're getting yelled at. If you have a mask on, you're getting yelled at. Uh, we don't know what to do. And that's just social. That's not even about our faith. And certainly when it comes to our Christianity, um, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And so you have the Tobias and the Sambalots in the world who are gonna keep asking questions. Like, what are you doing? What do you think this is gonna accomplish? Are you gonna pray? Because God's asleep. If he's there at all, he's not listening. And how many times, Israel, will you keep rebuilding the city only for it to get knocked down again? Christian, how many times will you keep coming to Midtown 12 South only for your life not to change at all? 
Like you're all the same. When the opposition, when the forces that come and hit at the heart of everything we hold dear, what do we do? How do we react to that? Uh, Because what we see is really, it's the same question that Satan had asked in the garden. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, very front of the Bible, uh, when Satan uh, makes a visit in the form of a serpent to Adam and Eve, and he says to Adam and Eve, did God really say that you can't eat of that tree? Did God really say you couldn't do that? This is Tobiah and Sambalot, right? These are the folks who are outside, the, the fighting that goes on outside of us, the questions that are being asked. Did God really say this? It's the same questions that Satan is asking. Did God really say you need to stay in that marriage? Like you're not happy. Freedom's like on the other side of that door. It's so close, just go. Did God really say you have to love this person for the rest of your life? Did God really say that he wants you uh, to stay pure and with integrity before you get married? Did God really say that? Or is God holding out on you? What's he hiding from you? Did God really say this? Did God really say that children are an inheritance from the Lord and blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them because my kid's at home with a double ear infection and I wanna put him in a trash can and I don't believe this. Did God really say that this is the case? Is it really that way? Did God really say that a little bit of wine is good for your stomach because you're drinking an awful lot of it. You're really checking to make sure your stomach's okay. Did God really say to do things in moderation? Did God really say uh, that he loves you? These are the questions. uh, These are the opposition. These are the forces that are coming in and saying, did God really say to you, Nehemiah, to come and rebuild this wall because I'm Tobiah and I wanna tear it down? So what do we do? How do we respond when that happens to us? I would hope that we would do what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah prays. He prays. Look at, look at verse four. He doesn't try to reason with Tobiah and Sambalot. He doesn't say, hey, let's set up like an interfaith council over at Belmont and let's talk about this and like see where we agree. Um, he doesn't invite them to coffee and to like talk about it. He prays for justice. He prays for justice. He says, they're taunting me. God, turn their taunts back on them. Listen to what he says. This sounds terrible because we don't like this. He says, hear us, O God, turn back their hearts. Don't show them grace because they don't like you. What Nehemiah knew first is what Jonah knew. It's what Elliot spoke about a while back. Jonah knew, Nehemiah knew that God is full of grace. Uh, Nehemiah had been a recipient of that grace. He's rebuilding a city that's gonna be uh, like the visual representation of God's grace and God's mercy. So he knew that, but he also knew that there's one being in the universe that God doesn't show mercy to, and that's the devil. That all the way back in Genesis chapter three of all the curses that were levied at Adam and Eve and to the serpent, one of those curses uh, to, to Eve was that there would be enmity between her offspring and the offspring of Satan uh, and that there are gonna be two lines. There's gonna be God's people and there are gonna be not God's people and they're gonna fight all the way until Jesus comes back. They're gonna fight. And Nehemiah knew this. This wasn't like Jonah and the Ninevites because Jonah said, I'm not going to Nineveh because I don't want them to have grace. But Nineveh wasn't the devil. 
Tobiah and Sambalot were really working for him. And so Nehemiah says, God will never show mercy on the devil and his plans and neither should his people. Neither should his people. Um, one thing you probably don't know about me is I'm a huge professional wrestling fan. Uh, like two weeks, po- two podcasts a week huge wrestling fan. Like I listen to people talk about it. Um, yeah, it's the weirdest thing about me for sure. And when I was a kid, I was probably seven or eight, uh, my dad, who's also a huge wrestling fan, uh, took me to uh, a wrestling event put on by WCW and the World Championship Wrestling, for those of you who are not in the know, uh, that's what that means. Um, and there were, there, the main event was this tag team, uh, the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson were fighting the Midnight Express, similar name, but don't get them confused, um, of, made up of beautiful Bobby Eaton and sweet Stan Lane. And they were gonna fight and it was awesome, y'all. I was loving it. I was slamming popcorn. I think I punched a guy. I was going crazy. I loved this so much. And uh, so we left the show. We're driving back home. I'm like, I'm kind of hungry. And my dad's like, yeah, let's stop and get something. So we stop at this little uh, place called the Huddle House. It was like attached to a gas station. Um, and as we're in there, I see uh, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson eating breakfast with beautiful Bobby Eaton and sweet Stan Lane. And I was talking to my dad and I was like, dad, Ricky Morton just hit Bobby Eaton over the head with Jim Cornette's tennis racket. Why are they having breakfast together? Like, why did they make up that fast? And then my dad had to break it to my little eight-year-old heart. I still haven't forgiven him for this. Um, He said, son, it's all a show. It's all a show. They only hate each other when everybody's watching, but behind the scenes, they're probably really good friends. Uh, When it comes to us as Christians, uh, and the opposition uh, that, we f- that we face against our faith. Um, too often we wanna be like beautiful Bobby Eaton and Ricky Morton uh, and only look like we hate each other when folks are watching. But could it be that we struggle with these sins that keep eating our lunch, they keep taking us down uh, because really we're just fake fighting with them. That it looks like we're, we're, we're fighting. We say things like, hey, I'm struggling with this hey, I'm having a hard time with this. And that's certainly true. We don't, want to play, we don't want to downplay that. It's certainly true that there are times that we're not really fighting that hard. What Nehemiah is saying here in this passage is that when opposition from without comes, when those who are agents of Satan and wanting to do his work come, we have to pray first for God's justice. Note what Nehemiah doesn't do. He doesn't take it into his own hands. He doesn't smack to behind the head with a shovel. He prays to God and says, God, take your vengeance on them if that's your will. Because they're trying to derail what we're trying to do here. Nehemiah shows us that fighting without is only met when we appeal to the God who can neutralize those forces. And he shows us that even in the midst of great opposition, the work of God's kingdom continues. The fighting without can be quelled easily, but what about... What if the fear is within us? One of the things that we're fighting with is actually inside of us and not outside of us. It's almost easier for Tobias and Sambalots because you can like block them on Twitter or you can not, not run into them out in public. But what if, it's, what if it's in our head? What if our greatest enemy is actually between our ears and not in front of our face? Which brings us to our second point, the fears that we have within We see in verse six uh, that Nehemiah prays yet again. Um, I love what happens here with Nehemiah is that 
after he prays what is called an imprecatory prayer where he asks for God's justice and judgment to be brought down on these people. Uh, verse six is so like nonchalant where he says, so we built the wall. I just prayed this prayer and then I went back to work and we see in verse six that uh, after he prays, uh, that's when we see old Sanby and Tobiah are back again. They're relentless. Uh, they go and gather an army. Uh, they go and gather uh, the Arabs, they gather the Ammonites, and they gather the Ashdodites, which is north, south, east, and west. So now Jerusalem is literally surrounded on all sides. And Nehemiah says they did this to cause confusion. They started flexing a little bit. They're getting big. They're showing their power. Uh, they're, they're trying to intimidate the Jews, and it works. And the Jews are so fearful. Look at verse 10 down to verse 12. They're so fearful, so much so that Nehemiah says he had to position guards for their protection. They began to doubt, hey, maybe these guys are right. Maybe Tobiah is right. We have tried to build this wall a lot. Uh, we have gotten attacked a lot. Uh, look at all this rubble. Look at all this work. My hands are hurting. I want a sandwich. Like, why? What is going on here? Like, we need to stop. And Nehemiah even says that 10 times those who were outside, um, this would likely have been the women, uh, the wives, and the children who were at home while their husbands and sons were uh, helping rebuild the wall, came to Nehemiah and said 10 times, we need our husbands back because we're scared. And we're open to attack. Look, listen to Tobiah, listen to Sambalah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites. They're all here, Nehemiah. We need our people back. And they came to him 10 times. The outside forces had given fuel to the inner doubts and fears that had likely been there all along. Because here's the thing, those outside voices were right. Jerusalem was terrible at protecting themselves. The outside voices were right. So uh, we have to ask, where do those internal doubts plague our own Christian walks? The internal doubts that we have, the questions that we ask ourselves. A question likely like this, could, if they really knew me, dot, 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 however you wanna finish that, if the people in this room really knew me, if they really knew what I did last night, if they knew what I did two weeks ago, if they knew what I did last summer, which is a great movie, if they knew all of those things, if they knew all this stuff about me, they wouldn't surely sit in this chair next to me. They would move to the other side of the county. If they knew who I really was, they would leave. They couldn't love me, which is really us saying, God can't love me. He can't. Look at all that I've done. He can't possibly love me. I know the wickedness that is in my heart. Or, you know how great you are, and you don't need God at all. Some of you are the best people I know. I'm like, I don't even know if you really need Jesus. Like, you seem like you're doing okay. What if, what if it's inside of us? Because that's harder to fight. Because it's so much more constant. Daryl, I know what Romans 8 says. I know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that's true for everybody else. That's not true for me. It's not true for me. My kids, Daryl, they're not believers and it's my fault. What did I do wrong? I brought them to church, I did what you said, I sent them downstairs. What did I do wrong? My kids aren't walking with the Lord. My significant other, uh, this girl I'm dating, this guy I'm dating, they're gonna break up with me. If they knew who I really was, they would 
leave me. Some of you may not have lived long enough yet for your idols to let you down. Uh, What are you gonna do when they do? Because just like the movie Transformers where we have to fight robots, it's not a question of if we have to ever fight robots, it's a question of when. When your idols let you down, it's not a question of if my idol is gonna let me down, it's a question of when is your idol gonna let you down and how are you gonna respond? Again, we look to Nehemiah, we look to his wisdom uh, for what he has for us. He prays, and then in verse nine, he posts a guard. He prays, and then he posts a guard. This is another moment in scripture where God's sovereignty and human responsibility come down and they shake hands because Nehemiah has already prayed about it, which is where a lot of us stop. Yeah, I'll pray about that, it'll be fine. But then Nehemiah says, I'm gonna pray about it, and I'm gonna post a guard. I'm gonna pray about it, and I'm gonna ask this guy to get to work. Um, and it's so different for us. And while we're not posting like physical guards at, our, at, the, at the seat of our hearts, God has given us a guard for our hearts and it's his word. It's scripture. This is why biblical literacy is so important that we can say like the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, that the Lord is my strength and my shield, my glory and the lifter of my head. That when David goes out to fight Goliath and Goliath, he tells Goliath, you come at me with swords and with spears, but I come at you in the name of the Lord that the guard that we post is, is in here, that the questions that we have are answered in here, that if you wanna know what is God's will for your life, it's here, it's in here. So how can we post that at the door of our heart when those evil forces that are within us are rising up and up and up that we can like Jesus when he encountered Satan in the desert. Remember Jesus uh, comes to earth, he lives 30 years in basic obscurity. Uh, Then he's baptized by John the Baptist and then he's sent into the desert to fight Satan. Uh, He did what Adam could not do, he defeated Satan. He's the only human that has ever done that. And when he's fighting with Satan, Satan says, bro, Jesus, I know you're hungry. You've been out here for 40 days. It's been weeks since you've had any food. Why don't you tell that rock to turn into some bread and feed yourself? And Jesus responds to Satan that man may not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. That when Moses, who was, so, was disobedient and would not inherit the promised land in Deuteronomy 32, uh, is standing there and he's about to die and the Israelites are about to go into the promised land, he stops them before, he goes, or before they go and he says, remember the words that I've said to you because they are your very life. That the word that God has given us, his scriptures are our very life. That's what we post at the door of our hearts. Friends, we will not overcome the sin that lies within us and the sin that is crouching at our door just by willpower. Because your willpower is weak. Your willpower has asthma. Your willpower is not gonna be able to do it. It's not gonna be able to stand up against the constant attack that's gonna come at it again and again and again. It's not gonna happen by Venmoing your therapist a couple hundred bucks every month. It's not gonna happen... um, it's not gonna happen by just trying to find people who think like you. Look, I've been with my therapist all the time. Thanks, dad. He won't reimburse that. But we put so much weight 
on things that are not intended to bear that weight, but what is intended to bear that weight is the scriptures, the word of God. It has, it's old. It's an old book, y'all, if you didn't know that. This is your first time, this is an old book. It's, it's withstood everything that's ever been tossed at it. Every criticism, every critique, every question, uh, every doubt, it has withstood for years and years. That Jesus died 2,000 some odd years ago and we're still here. That there's something special about this. That there's something special about the means of grace. That when we hear the word preached, that when we read the word, that when we pray together, that when we take the sacraments together, that God does something special for us that no one else in this world experiences. This is what Nehemiah is saying. Post a guard at your heart. Remember that when those evils bubble up, this is the only thing you can fight it with, the word of God. He posted a guard, he prayed, and then the next thing he does is that he puts his people together because there's another means of grace that we're pretty bad at and we forget a lot. Uh, we know about the word, we know about preaching, we know about praying, we know about sacraments. Uh, but the communion of saints is another weapon that God gives us to fight. It's gonna be our last point this morning, the fellowship that wins. If we look at verses 13 and 14 here at the end of this passage, uh, they close out with Nehemiah as prepping everyone for battle and again, he doesn't just say, hey, I prayed about this, we're gonna be fine. He prays about it and he gets the people prepared. He, uh, he sets them in clans and he puts them uh, behind the wall and he says, we're gonna protect you. We're gonna protect you. This is where the church is unlike every other organization on this planet. What Nehemiah doesn't do, and, he, and especially in our political climate right now, what Nehemiah doesn't do is he doesn't say, let the sick and the weak stay at home. Who gives a crap about them? Let them stay home. Let us live our lives, Nehemiah. Let us build this wall and get this over with. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say send them back. He doesn't say let them go get healthy. He doesn't say they have comorbidities. Why don't they just go die? What he does is he says, I'm gonna take these folks. I'm gonna place them behind this wall because they're vulnerable and they're sick and they're weak and they're fearful and they're doubting. And I'm gonna stand here in front of them. And the strong among us are gonna stand in front of them. And we're gonna fight like hell for them. We're gonna fight for them. That when Tobiah and Sambalot and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, if they come through this wall to get them, they're gonna have to go through us first. This is what Nehemiah does. This is why fellowship is so important. That's why it's so important. Because you are out there like a sick little elk bleeding out and there are black wolves who are coming after you. And they're gonna take you down unless you surround yourself with God's people that the communion of the saints is so important, real fellowship that is laid out for us in scripture that has lived out before us. Could the church be a place where, the, where we long, where the people who, who are watching long for this kind of community to be true and then we can show them that it is? Real fellowship, not just community. You can, like we use the word community a lot. You can find community anywhere. You can walk into a CrossFit gym and find community. You can go on YouTube and find community. Uh, you have it in your fantasy football league, you have it at work. Um, 
what we're talking about is real fellowship that says true koinonia, that we're gonna lock arms together because we know that the greatest battle is the one that we fight together. That there's sin within all of us, that we're all a mess. That when we ask that question, if you knew, dot, 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 if you really knew how big of a mess I am, you wouldn't be here. And then the person you admit that to says, is that all you got? Is that it? Because that's nothing compared to what's in our own hearts. We understand that we're all messes. This is what makes the church unique again. Uh, we're the people who say we actually don't have it all together. That when the world looks at us and says that building's full of hypocrites, we say, yes, it is. Won't you come join us, Mr. Hypocrite? We're all that way. And what Nehemiah says is I'm going to group all these people into clans and we're gonna protect them um, and we're gonna do something that seems so trite and trivial to us uh, because we're far too jaded. And Nehemiah looks at them and says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. This is why uh, we work so hard to toss you into small groups uh, this is why we have a YP ministry. Uh, this is why we, we want to, to shrink down the size of our congregation uh, because we need each other. And Nehemiah says, what we say to one another when we're together is remember. Remember the God who is awesome and who is great. And then let's fight for our brothers and our sisters and our sons and our daughters and our wives and our homes. Because what true Christian fellowship offers us is when we come with those doubts where we say, if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. We find a Jesus who knows everything about us and he does not run away. That, when, that even if all those in your lives before this point have said, get the heck away from me, Jesus says, come closer to me. Come closer to me. That before the foundation of the world was laid, God the Father and God the Son shook hands on this covenant of redemption where the Son of God agreed that he will go and stop at nothing to buy us back. So he's gonna go and sleep on the ground and be born of a virgin and be made fun of by his own family. That he's gonna go to the sick and to the vulnerable and to the poor and to the Samaritan woman whose life was a train wreck. He's gonna go to her and say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who can make sense of all this. He's the one who said, let the little children come to me and let no one stop them. He said that if you try to stop children from coming to him, it's better that you have a millstone tied around your neck and you get tossed into the lake. That's how much he cared. That's how much he cared about the defenseless and the poor and the vulnerable around that he said, they will stop at nothing to come to me. Let them, let them stop at nothing. That's why we want you in a group. That's why we want you to be an apprentice in a group. That's why we want you to lead a group because there's a world of folks outside these doors who long for this to be true. It's your friends, it's your neighbors, it's your coworkers, it's all those who are in our little spheres of influence who long for this to be true and that we can show them that it is. That we can show them that this is a place where sinners are welcomed because they've looked for this kind of relationship. They've looked for it everywhere. You've looked for it everywhere and you found it here. That, that it's only inside those dull red doors that a place like this can exist and say, 
I know what you've done. And you're far worse than even you think you are. That the, that the sin you know about is only the sin you know about. And that it goes far deeper than that, but there's a God whose grace runs deeper still, that there's a Jesus who really changes us because Jesus was the true Nehemiah who stood in the gap for us, who stood before the wall, who said, hide yourself in me. I will take the hammer blow to my head and it's going to kill me. Way back in Genesis, Satan is gonna bruise the hill of Jesus and he's gonna crush his head. He takes the hill bruise so we don't have to. The hammer hits his head so it doesn't fall on us. The white hot hatred that God had towards sin is poured out on his head so we'll never have to know what that's like. And he dies alone and naked in front of his mom. And so you never have to know what that's like. And then as he raises from the dead three days later and as he ascends into heaven, his parting words uh, to the people in the book of Acts is that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and that they'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria. Remember, that's where old Sanby's from. He's a Samaritan. In Jerusalem and Samaria and Sylvan Park and the nations and the Gulch and 12 South and all of Nashville and to the ends of the earth. The word of God is what we use to fight. The fellowship of the saints, the communion of the saints is available to you this morning. So I ask, will you throw all you know of yourself into all we know about Jesus? Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you uh, desperately, desperately, oh so desperately wanting this to be true. And your word tells us that you're not a liar. Now your word tells us that you're true. And that what you say is true. Regardless of if we believe it or not, it's true. Uh, and so we lean on that. Uh, we throw ourselves into that. Uh, like children into the lap of their parents, we throw ourselves uh, into your promises. Uh, that the evil that lies uh, outside of us those opposing forces uh, that come uh, to wreck our faith. God, we ask that you, uh, have ju that, that you exact your judgment and your justice on those, uh, that you would even have mercy on those, uh, that they would come to know you because of the life that we live. Uh, but if that's not your will, God, we ask that, uh, in your, in that you would hasten your return, that you would send the evil back to hell, uh, that you would... Uh, start a revival in us and in our hearts and in this building and in this city uh, that turns this world inside out and upside down for you. Uh, Jesus, would you be so kind as to grant us this? Uh, would you be so kind to move uh, within us that we move both to you and to one another, uh, knowing that uh, you have been the great love of our souls, uh, that we can come to you just as we are with fightings and fears and doubts, uh, with victories and triumphs and gladness, uh, that you're still the one who makes sense of all those. So Jesus, would you do this for us? Holy Spirit, uh, would you move our hearts? Uh, would you move us to repentance? And uh, would you convict us and allow us to see Jesus uh, as the one who is greater uh, than all our fears? And it's in his name we do pray, amen.